Hello, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast, episode 100b, Raising the Children High. Today, we explore two side events which took place around the time of Amunhotep III's first said festival. These events involved two of his children, his eldest daughter and eldest son, and both of them marked an important development in the king's political agenda. This episode is brought to you by Brittany Elmer and Lars Jorgensen, who donated to the show. Thank you for supporting the research and writing costs, folks. May Konsu, the one who travels the sky in his aspect of the moon, son of Amun and Mut, bring you joy this month. To everyone listening, please enjoy the story. The year was 1370 BCE, number 30 in the reign of Neb Ma'at Re Amunhotep III, King of Egypt. Throughout the royal palace of Malkata, scribes and administrators were busy putting together the various elements for the upcoming said festival. Accountants were reckoning the food and drink that would be needed. Overseers were ensuring that the various buildings and ceremonial spaces were ready in time and priests were making sure that divine images and texts were available for the festival itself. On top of that, many of Pharaoh's personal assistants, like the wise counsellor Amunhotep son of Hapu, were scouring ancient records for information about the festival itself. Amunhotep Hapu and men like him were doing important work for their king, and it would show in the splendour of the said festival. As all of those officials bustled about taking care of minutiae, a different kind of preparation was underway in the royal apartments. Within the private quarters, the women of the royal family were preparing for an event. Queen T would have to participate in some elaborate rituals, and the royal daughters would perform songs of praise for their grandiose father. These daughters, named Sit Amun, Nebet Ia, Isis and Henut Taneb had prominent roles to play. Sit Amun, the eldest, had a particularly important function, and it's this princess that I want to talk about today. You see, Sit Amun is a standout figure, and year 30 was a big deal for the young princess. In 1370 BCE, Princess Sit Amun was not just preparing for the said festival of her father, she was also preparing for her wedding. Sit Amun, or Amun's daughter, was now approximately 25 years old, maybe a bit younger. She was unmarried, as was the custom. As far as we can tell, no 18th dynasty princess ever married unless it was to secure the succession of the next king. For the most part, royal children, both daughters and sons, disappeared into anonymity, serving in temples or military and government roles, and never really making a blip. Well, Sit Amun's path was a bit different, because she was going to marry, but she was going to marry her father. Around 1370 BCE, regnal year 30, Amunhotep III chose a new bride to adorn his public house. Rather than a noblewoman or a foreign lady, he opted for his own daughter Sit Amun. 
This was an interesting decision, and it deserves our attention for a moment. Around this time, the princess Sit Amun begins to appear in royal artistic scenes with the title Hemet Nesut Weret, Great Wife of the King. It is the supreme title of any royal woman, the highest rank she could achieve on earth. It was a title held by Sit Amun's mother, Queen Ti, and her grandmother, Mut Emwia, rest in peace. Now, Sit Amun begins to use this title of Great Wife of the King. It's very curious. First up, I'll address the obvious question. Was this an incestual marriage? Probably not. Sit Amun has no daughters that we know of, so we can't say that the marriage was ever consummated. On top of that, there's no evidence for any marriage ceremony taking place. All we have is a title on a couple of items that give the princess a new rank. So what's actually going on here? Because we have no evidence for Amunhotep and Sit Amun actually consummating this marriage, we're tempted to view it more in ceremonial terms rather than a real relationship. With the current evidence, the most likely explanation is that Sit Amun was promoted to the title of great royal wife in a ceremonial or symbolic function. This wasn't necessarily a real marriage, but rather some kind of political or religious event. It's quite possible that Sit Amun was quote-unquote married to her father as part of a larger religious narrative. You see, as the pharaoh reached his 30-year anniversary, it seems that he was becoming very interested in different theological ideas, and beginning to borrow them in order to use them in a political context. Long story short, Amunhotep was beginning to steal ideas from the gods, and use them to glorify himself. Among the various concepts that he borrowed, which I'll explore in more detail in a future episode, one of the more prominent is the notion that the royal family here on earth was in some way a counterpart or parallel to the family of the gods up in heaven. Now the gods had extremely complicated relationships between themselves. For example, the creator Ray had a daughter who was simultaneously his child, his wife, and even his mother. That complicated goddess was Hathor, the great mother herself. Well, in different contexts, Hathor could be Ray's child, or his spouse, or even the one who birthed him. What I'm getting at here is that the marriage between Sit Amun and her father Amunhotep was probably not about sex or union, but about replicating a relationship that was found among the gods themselves. Amunhotep III was not a modest man. He liked to associate himself with the divine beings, perhaps more than any other king before. Part of that involved using their titles and symbolism. Another part may have involved recreating their relationships within his own household. So in Regnal Year 30, Sit Amun went from being the Sat Nesut, daughter of the king, to the Hemet Nesut Weret, great royal wife. This event was a landmark both in her life and the reign of her father. From now on, the pharaoh was presenting his family like they were the avatars of the gods on high. So Amunhotep III symbolically married his own daughter as a way of expressing his divinity on earth and his association with the great god Ray, who had a similar relationship. But he wasn't just going to raise his daughter up high. No. 
Amunhotep also had big plans for his eldest son. Around the time that Sit Amun was marrying her father, Prince Amunhotep IV was also experiencing a sudden change in fortunes. By regnal year 30, Amunhotep IV was about 10 years old. The son of the king and Queen T, little Amunhotep was learning the ways of scribes and priests and gaining his education in royal business. We don't know much about Amunhotep IV before he became king, because the pharaohs didn't like to depict their sons too prominently, at least not in their company. Occasionally we get monuments like the little statues of Prince Tutmos, rest in peace, but most of the time the sons are invisible. This is the case with Amunhotep IV as well, but with one noteworthy exception. If you go to the Pyramid Fields west of Memphis, specifically the Pyramid of Meidum, you will find two records of King Amunhotep III. One of them involved a scribe named Mai, visiting the old pyramid to view texts and scenes in its temple. In another record, written in black ink on stone, we learn about an event which took place in year 30. Quote, Year 30, under the majesty of the dual king Neb Ma'at Re, the son of Amun. Amunhotep, the ruler of Thebes, lord of might, caused the male to sit down on the seat of his father and establish his inheritance in the land. End quote. What's going on here is apparently a reference to Prince Amunhotep IV being publicly nominated as the heir to his great father. In regnal year 30, the pharaoh brought his son forward and sat him down upon the throne. Doing this, he established the young prince as the heir to the two lands, the destined king of Upper and Lower Egypt. This text is the only known record of Amunhotep IV being raised to the position of crown prince. It happened in 1370 BCE, the year of the said festival, which was some time after his elder brother Tutmos had died. Apparently, Pharaoh took the anniversary of his own ascent to power as a good opportunity to set up for the next generation. He brought Amunhotep IV out into the public eye and presented the child to the people of the land. It may have been the prince's first public appearance. Promoting the heir was not necessarily a new thing. There was precedent, sort of. Remembering back to Queen Hatshepsut, her proclamations told of how her own father, Totmos I, had promoted her as his rightful successor. She said, quote, King Tutmos I saw in Hatshepsut the majesty of Horus, how great is her divine maker. His majesty said to her, Come, glorious one, I have placed you before me for a purpose, so that you may see your government in the palace, and that you may assume your royal dignity, glorious in your magic, mighty in your strength. End quote. Hatshepsut was probably legitimizing herself retroactively. But more than a hundred years had passed since her death, and the story of promotion had been picked up by her own successor, Tutmos III. So the tale, or at least the idea, was floating around in royal circles, and Amunhotep III might have borrowed this for his own purposes. It certainly wouldn't be the first time that his reign saw traditions of Hatshepsut being reused in a new context. 
So regnal year 30, 1370 BCE, Pharaoh promoted his young son as the heir to the throne. Little Amunhotep IV entered the public sphere for the first time, and the limelight shone upon him as the crown prince of Egypt. He was now entering a new phase of his life, no longer an anonymous prince cloistered within the harem apartments. Now he was a public figure, and he would need to learn the intricacies of government, before he could take the throne for himself. It has been suggested that the promotion of young Amunhotep IV was actually even more significant. In several studies between the 1940s and 80s, prominent scholars like Cyril Aldred, David Redford and William Murnane suggested that the pharaoh actually raised this young prince to the rank of king, aka a co-regent. This co-regency theory is based on a few images which show the cartouches or names of Amunhotep III and his son alongside each other. A few traces also show the younger king making offerings to his father, and it was theorised that in regnal year 30, Amunhotep III actually made his young son a co-ruler. Sitting beside him on the throne, the prince would learn by doing, and they would rule Egypt together. Well, this theory has been somewhat downgraded, from workable interpretation to hypothesis. The evidence brought forward in support of a long co-regency has been examined, re-examined, and re-examined again, and it seems that most of it doesn't really say what you might think it says. Without getting into the academic weeds, some of the main concepts, like artwork that depicts Amunhotep III in the peculiar Amana style of representation, are most likely commemorative, looking back on the pharaoh after his death. Others, like the graffito which records Amunhotep IV being promoted, are just that, records of his promotion to heir rather than king. The issue, mainly, is that we have no records which definitively say year 30 of Amunhotep III and year 1 of Amunhotep IV. That's the sort of thing you need in order to nail a co-regency theory to the wall. We also don't have any decrees or proclamations of the supposed coronation, and no records of the kings acting together on official business. So there's really no hard evidence, just some circumstantial stuff that might not even say what we want it to say. Essentially, the evidence that might suggest a co-regency probably doesn't, and Occam's razor, the simplest explanation, favours a direct line of succession. Amunhotep IV took power after his father died. On the basis of what we know now, in 2018, I am going with the no co-regency interpretation. So for the next eight years of rule, Amunhotep III will remain the sole pharaoh. His son is simply learning the trade. 1370 was a big year for the royal household. The pharaoh celebrated his anniversary, the eldest princess became a ceremonial queen, and the surviving son ascended to the rank of crown prince. As far as political phases go, this year was a crossroads of important decisions. Moving into the final decade of Amunhotep's reign, we are now in a very different environment from what came before. Things are changing, the pharaoh is pushing some new ideas, and the world is going to take notice of him. 
In episode 101, we will meet one of the pharaoh's most trusted advisors. A wise man, a counsellor, an overseer of projects, and a leader of troops, the elderly sage Amunhotep, son of Hapu, was a prominent figure of his day. And he had an amazing legacy. But first, our 100th episode Q&A, where I took your questions, researched them, and prepared some answers. Keep an eye out for that one, it's dropping soon.